you may believe. Again, good morning, welcome. This morning we will be taking up the last section of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you've been with us in our study of the Gospel of John, and I, I know many of you have, and I'm glad, you'll, you'll recall that this, this major chunk of John's Gospel that we've been in for several weeks and will be in for a few more comprises the, the teaching and conversations of the Lord Jesus with his, with his inner ring of disciples on the last night of his earthly ministry. The Gospel of John has 21 chapters. And chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and a little bit into 18 have to do with this last night before Jesus goes to the cross. Chapter 13, he, in 14, he was with his disciples in the uh, so-called upper room. And then at the end of chapter 14, when he makes the statement, let us, let us go from here, that, that tells us the point in the text where they left the, uh, the room that was probably somewhere in the heart of Jerusalem and began to head toward the edge of the city where, where he will be in the Garden of Gethsemane by the time we get to chapters 17 and 18. So here, we're, we're walking across the city at night as we have this conversation. I've chosen for my title this morning, Ambassadors in a Difficult Place. Uh, we will begin in verse 17 and read down through the end of the chapter. So John 15, beginning in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, <laughs> they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them, or pardon me, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Ambassadors together in a difficult place. Verse 17, which, which sits in most of our Bibles in terms of formatting, at the end of the previous paragraph, but also bridges into the paragraph I've just read. In that, in that statement that Jesus is talking and saying the things that he's saying in order that his disciples would understand the importance of loving one another. It is important that we love one another. And that, that love plays itself out no more significantly and no more vividly anywhere than here in the context of the body of Christ. 
Christians are to love one another and the, the communities into which we have come to be gathered and organized are churches. And for us specifically, this church. This church is not to be a mere uh, audience gathering for, for performance. <laughs> I understand the irony of my saying that to you in this setting. As I stand up here on an elevated platform 10 feet or so above the floor with about a half a bazillion stage lights shining on me and my uh, awkwardly massive image on the screens behind me, I, something out of Citizen Kane, you know. It, it can look very, very much like presenter and audience. But I hope this morning as you got up, got dressed, and got ready to come, and I'm really glad you're here, that it was not on your mind to think of yourself as someone dressing up to join an audience and attend a performance. My, how that mindset is to be despised. I pray that, that this Lord's Day and every Lord's Day, as you, as you get up and get ready and come to this place, that, that your your perception of what you're coming to do is to gather to be with the family, to be with folks whom you love deeply and to be among folks whom love you back and love you deeply and that there is a, there's an interconnected network of relationships. We emphasize life groups a lot. And one of the reasons that we emphasize life groups so much is it's, it is very hard in a room with this size and this shape to kind of break the toxic mindset of, of presenter and audience. But that mindset is, is not what church is. We better love one another because the world is not going to love us. And if we're going to find the kinds of relationship connections we, we very much need, we must realize, again, as I have said in my title, we are ambassadors, but we are together in this difficult place. I, I chose the word ambassador because I believe, and I've given you 2 Corinthians 5.20 there in your notes and, and on the screen. I believe that 2 Corinthians 5.20 captures a very, very important image, a very important word picture that can be very useful in framing up our relationship with the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. That is, we represent a foreign power with a pressing message. I want to introduce you to three gentlemen. The gentlemen that are, that are on the screen now behind me are, starting from the left, Martin Weiss, Nestor Forrester, and Sergei Mumbali. Now, some of y'all are, are, are deep, deep civics nerds. More power to you. So no, this is a no credit pop quiz. I am just nothing but pathologically curious. 
Any of you ever heard of any of these guys before? Could you tell me as a pop quiz format who they are? All right, so far we are zero for everybody. And I don't blame you, I didn't know either. I went digging. Mr. Weiss is the ambassador to the United States from Austria. He's the Austrian ambassador to the United States. Mr. Forrester is the Brazilian ambassador to the United States. And Mr. Mumbuli on the right end is the ambassador to the United States from the Republic of Congo. Let me tell you some things about these three gentlemen, though I've never met them. Number one, they all live most of the time in the United States of America. In fact, they all live most of the time in their respective embassies in Washington, D.C. They live most of the time in the United States of America. They communicate well in the United States of America. They, they travel the streets of Washington, D.C. When they eat out, they eat out in the restaurants in Washington, D.C. They, they dwell here, but they are not mostly from here. And they are not mostly concerned with the internal life of whatever's going on in the United States of America. They are mostly concerned with faithfully delivering the word that the governments of Austria, Brazil, and the Republic of Congo want delivered to the United States of America. That's what an ambassador is. Someone who's not from around here, who embraces and fulfills the mission to deliver the message of the foreign power to the place where they presently reside. You'll not understand 2 Corinthians 5.20's description if you don't understand it in that way. And they are not mostly concerned with their popularity here. They ain't from around here. They're not mostly concerned with how they are perceived here. They're not from around here. They are mostly concerned that they bear well the duty of communicating what their home government has to say into this setting. You and I are ambassadors assigned to a difficult place. We'll say more about that in a few moments. Roman number one. We have a different citizenship. Letter A, our head. Jesus says in verse 18, if the world hates you, and that view is plural, if the world hates y'all, <laughs> know that it's hated me for it's hated you. That if you are effective in your ambassadorial role, and you ought to be, you will be so closely identified with me as I am, 
me as I have described and declared myself to be. You will be so closely identified with that that the world, that world system, that cosmos, not the sphere to which gravity holds our feet, but the world system will not be fond of you because it's not fond of me. Because of your identification with my headship, not only our head, but our home. We really are not from around here. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Now that's an interesting word for love there. We talk a lot around here about the word agape and the, the definition that we share for that kind of love. And it's a definition that gets repeated around here quite a bit. That that, that highest kind of love, that agape love, is our unconditional self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. That's John three sixteen love, for God so loved the world. Unconditional self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. That ain't the word love that's here. I've got to tighten it up, it's Mother's Day. That is not the word for love there. Sorry, Mom, I used ain't in public. and She's not watching right now. She's at church, but she'll watch later and I'll hear from her. <laughs> and I'm glad. The word for love in verse 19 is not the word agape. It's, it's the word theo, from which we name our city of Philadelphia. At its most formal, it means brotherly love. What it looks like is the, the regard, the friendship, the casual okayness. It's the love that, that, that high fives somebody when your team wins a game. Yo, we did it, yeah. It's, it's acceptance of one another as buds, friends, good old boys and good old girls. And here Jesus says the world would treat you like that if you were a part of it, but you're not a part of it. I've called you out of it. I've made you my ambassador, not a conforming world citizen. You're different. Therefore, the world hates you. And that word hate there means, oh, I don't know, hate. We're not from around here. It's fundamental to who we are in Christ. I'm blessed to carry a U.S. passport. I hope you have one, if you're a U.S. citizen or whatever nation of this world you belong to. We are called to share the message to the ends of the earth, and fundamental to that calling is to maintain the light-footedness that allows us to physically get there if the opportunity presents itself. Some of you, if the word came to you right now today that you've got an all, an all good ready, you can go and be sharing the gospel with an English speaking pocket of population in Argentina a week from Tuesday, get ready and go because the door is kicked wide open. You'd have to say, well, I don't have a passport. You have decided in advance you ain't going. I don't know that a Christian has that right for what it's worth. And while I carry a U.S. passport, I am not mostly a citizen of my beloved United States. I am mostly an ambassador of a foreign king with a message to deliver. And if you are in Christ, the same is true of you. Roman numeral two, we respond to an unpopular authority. Now, 
unlike Mr. Vice and the other two, I don't know of any tension that presently exists between the United States and Austria, Brazil, or the Republic of Congo. So my metaphor is gonna break down pretty quick. They're, they are ambassadors in a, in a land that is friendly with the ones who sent them. You and I are not. Because we respond, Roman 2, to an unpopular authority. Verse 20, first part of the verse. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And remember, he's saying this within just hours of going to the cross. And his disciples who are hearing this are certainly going to face persecution in the years ahead. So ought we expect to. We respond to an unpopular authority. I, I love reading Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He's uh, just an old school Bible teacher. He's done, a lot, there's a lot of audio out there from Dr. McGee on the old Through the Bible broadcast. His books are incredible. I gotta tell you, for me, he's easier to read than he is to listen to. All right, enough of y'all know about Dr. McGee that you know what I mean. At any rate, he's fun to read. And he says of this passage that the, the world doesn't, doesn't love Jesus. His quote here is, is the world does not hate their idea of God. The world doesn't hate their idea of God. It's always been the case that human beings manufacture idols. In our culture, we don't have as prevalent a practice of, of manufacturing idols with our hands, but we sure do manufacture them in our minds. For example, we have in our culture an idol, I don't know, I'll call him showbiz God. Showbiz God gets a lot of thank yous at you know, the Emmys and the Grammys and the Tonys and the Zippies and the whatever other E's there are out there. As the, the narcissists of the entertainment industry thank one another for how important they are, they always throw in a thank you to Showbiz God. Be careful getting all excited about the special guest appearances of Showbiz God. I don't know that he survives examination to be the God who is. Showbiz God's pretty popular. Sports God's super popular, especially in the South. Now, I don't understand. Sports God takes sides. Thank you, God, that our guys won. I, I don't know about all that. I, uh, but boy, Showbiz God gets a lot of attention. And Sports God is doing great. Oh, politics God. Politics God's having quite a run. He even got his name stamped on our currency. So we carry as Americans money in our pocket that says in God we trust, while the vast majority of us don't. Politics God's doing okay. And the most popular idol of all is God wants me happy God. God exists to fill my needs, God. At his most extreme, he's the God of the, of the health and wealth gospel. Gospel in monstrous air quotes. The God who, who wants to, to fix all my problems before I ever have to go through the messy business of dying and going to heaven. No, he wants to fix them all now. Whereas the God who is repeatedly promises just the opposite. 
that life will be difficult as there is ground into and out of us the image of our creator until finally we shed this massively defective scaffolding and go on to real eternal life. Ooh, but God who wants me happy, God, is doing a real good job gaining a lot of popularity for himself. As Dr. McGee said, the world will never hate their own idea of God. Roman numeral three, we are assigned to a rebellious place. <clears throat> we are not from around here. Roman one, different citizenship. Roman two, we respond to an unpopular authority. Now Roman three, we are assigned to a rebellious place. Letter A, rebellion against the Lord's words. Jesus said, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. There is, there's good news. There will be those who will follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. There will be those who will take him at his word, believe in him as he has described himself, trust him by faith, turn from their sin, and follow him all the way home to heaven. And as you convey that message, you can expect to encounter along the way those who will embrace it, those who will be born again, those who will come to faith in Christ. But the rough stuff, the persecution, they will do to you on account of my name, verse 21, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Now he makes a similar statement in verse 24 regarding his works. And so these two statements bear some explanation. If I hadn't come and said the things I've said, they would be not, not so guilty of sin if I had not, verse 24, come and done the things that only I do. Those two verses taken in a vacuum could lead one to conclude that Jesus is saying that they were in a state of innocence until they heard from him, unless, of course, you read the rest of the New Testament and think biblically about what the Bible is saying here. What the Bible is saying here is the very specific sin. While well, that Bible teacher John MacArthur, I'll borrow his words regarding these two phrases, verse 22 and verse 24. The Lord was not speaking here of sin in general, but rather of the specific sin of willfully rejecting him in the face of full revelation. You have, you have, Jesus said, they have, at least the ones that you, my disciples, will encounter most immediately, they've heard what they need to hear, they know what they need to know, they've seen what they need to say, and yet they are in rebellion against my words. You know, you can talk about God in general terms, the various categories of idol I just already fired off for you. But when you start talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, that is, you are saying, there is no earning. There's no earning of God's ultimate favor. You cannot earn it. Heaven is not for people who have earned God's favor by their good works. There is no possibility of your doing so. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. When you take the position that there is no other revelation from God except his word, you are not hearing the voice of God telling you stuff. What God has said, God has said. 
an additional verbal revelation, whether it comes to you in a dream after you've eaten too much Taco Bell late at night, or whether it comes from a, a fancy chair in Rome, or whether it comes from the Watchtower Society in Brooklyn, or a fancy temple in Salt Lake City. God is not speaking, for God has spoken. I found my source. I gave you this quote a couple weeks ago. This quote is, I believe, original with Bible teacher Justin Peters, who says, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. This is where he has spoken. We believe salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. We believe God speaks through scripture alone. We believe in Christ alone as the means whereby men and women are made right with God. Mankind cannot be right with God apart from that which Jesus has accomplished on our behalf for us by his grace on the cross. We believe that all of it is for the glory of God, that there is no other valid purpose. You can have lots of things going on in your life, I pray you do, but the overarching purpose of your life, if you are a believer, is the fulfillment of that ambassadorial assignment for the glory of God. All else, even important things, is in a distant second and worse behind the glory of God, by grace alone, through faith alone, on the word of God alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That is the faith once for all delivered to the saints that the book of Jude speaks of, and that position will be hated by the world. It just will, and so will you if you clearly identify yourself as standing on that faith with that Lord. They're in rebellion against the Lord's words. They're in rebellion against the Lord's works. They've seen and hated both me and my father, he says in verse 24. They've seen, they've seen that I can heal the blind. They've seen that I can walk on water. They've seen that I can calm the storm. They've seen that I can raise the dead. And they hate me for it. And it's not the works themselves they hate, to be clear. It's that those works are done in the name of Jesus. A crystal clear example exists, uh, arises not but a few months after this, in the, the summer after the ascension, the summer after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Peter and John are in the temple. It's in Acts chapter three and chapter four. They, uh, they cause a man who's been lame from birth to, to begin to walk. And the Jewish leadership bounces them hard for it. Not because there's a lame man walking, but because it was done in the name of Jesus as he is. You can read about that moment in the first couple, three verses of Acts chapter four. They're in rebellion against his words. They're in rebellion against his works. They're in rebellion by their will. Verse 25, having heard this message of salvation, by grace, by grace for all who will turn from their sin and believe. It's right there. It's the most free thing in the universe. Having heard that message that you can be forgiven and you can dwell eternally in a right relationship with God. Having seen the works of the one who, who most 
presented that message, Jesus Christ himself, the embodiment of grace. Having heard his words and seen his works, they hate him. They hate him. In fulfillment of, Jesus says here, he, he quotes Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69, 4, they hate me without cause. They hate me because they willfully hate me. We know that according to John 3, 19, the, the condemnation is this, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It is the willful state of lost humanity to love darkness rather than light because they love the deeds of that darkness. And if that's you this morning, <laughs> as an ambassador of the King of Kings, I join with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the room and beg you, turn from your sin. Trust Jesus Christ by faith. But letter D, quite often we should expect rebellion against our witness. The Holy Spirit was about to come empower the church. On the day of Pentecost, which is uh, 50 days after the Saturday where Jesus laid in the tomb. It's, it's 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. So on Sunday, the day of Pentecost, about seven weeks out, seven weeks plus a little bit, out, God the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower the body of Christ, the church. And when he comes, he's going to bear witness of the truth, both within the church and out from the church. And you also will bear witness, Jesus assures this little group of disciples gathered around him. Now the word witness here is an interesting word. The word witness here is the Greek word marturian, from which comes the English word martyr, one who dies for his faith. And it's interesting in this setting as we think about the 11 that are still with Jesus. Remember, Judas Iscariot's already gone. The traitor is out doing his bad business. Of the remaining 11, only John, the author of this gospel, will live to be an old age. But church history and tradition tells us that he was tortured to near death several times but did live to old age. The other 10, that's two accounted for, the traitor and the one who will die an old man. The other 10 will give up their lives for their faith, generally in the face of a hostile government. You're going to be my witness martyrs. Expect it. Don't know his future for you. Don't know his future for me. And I don't know that my witness will take me all the way to martyrdom. But in light of the fact that the, the first generation leaders of Christianity, including our Lord, died at the hands of a hostile government, I'm gonna be real careful who I cozy up to. Witness martyrs, ambassadors. See, my brother, my sister, those of you who are followers of Christ, we're not from around here. We drive on the streets, eat in the restaurants, speak the language. But we're not from around here. Our reason for being here is to deliver faithfully the message of our king until he says we've completed our assignment and calls us back home. May we deliver that message faithfully. 
And if you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Christ, you are in desperate trouble before an utterly holy and utterly righteous God who must judge your sin as it sits. But he is also a loving God. And he has provided a means to know him and be known, to live in forgiveness and be the recipient of his mercy and grace. If you will but hate your sin, repenting of it, trusting Jesus Christ by faith, crying out to him for the salvation of your soul, you can be saved. You will be saved if you cry out for salvation. God has made provision for that in the death of Jesus Christ. Paid for on the cross, proven on Easter Sunday at the empty tomb. One day utterly vindicated by his return. Accepted here and now by repentance and faith. If you've never done that, call out to Jesus right now, right where you sit. May your heart cry out to him. If you want to talk to somebody about that, I'll be around after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Do not mistake talking with me with talking with Jesus. When I read his words out loud, we might sound a little bit alike, but I am not he. But I sure would enjoy talking with you about your need to talk to Jesus. Be my privilege.